Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of this fine, fine podcast at the East Tennessee State University Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Uh, today, it's the, uh, oh gosh, might be the last podcast of November. No, 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 we got a month after Thanksgiving. It's November 17th. Uh, I just realized uh, next week is uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, and that's typical pod day, so I don't know if I'll be a podcast next week. Uh, all right, so we have a new drug approval to talk about. Uh, Mervituximab, uh, seraptensine. Uh, as you can tell, uh, probably by the name, it is an antibody drug conjugant. Um, and I thought what I would, would do as I go through this is kind of also kind of talk aloud through how I I kind of teach myself about a new drug. This is not a drug that I had heard of in development or anything like that. So this is completely new to me, completely uh, novel, an antibody. Um, I will revisit the naming here. It's The antibody is Mervituximab, not Mervituxatug. So we still don't have the new naming system, don't have a drug yet that's gone through that new naming uh, nomenclature. Uh, Mervituximab uh, seraptensine similar to imtanzine, so what, this tells me it's probably a microtubule inhibitor, which it is. And then, I, I don't do this a lot uh, when we talk about these drugs, but with biologics, because of the ability in the United States for uh, biologic uh, makers to create biosimilars, there is a nonsense suffix or dash afterwards, a, a, an attachment. In this case, the full name of this drug in the United States is mervituximab streptensine dash G-Y-N-X. That's supposed to be a nonsense. It's not supposed to mean anything. It does have gyne in it, and this is approved for gynecologic cancer. This is approved for uh, for um, ovarian cancer. So the brand name here is Ella here. Ella here. Where is Ella? Ella here is a folate receptor alpha. Such a dad joke. Folate receptor alpha uh, directed antibody with a microtubule conjugate. And so this is, I'm just looking right here at the very top of the PI, kind of the executive summary. There's a box warning for eye toxicity. Uh, it's an accelerated approval, so that tells me a little bit about, you know, as you'll see, it's a, based on response rate in about 100 people, some warnings for pneumonitis, peripheral neuropathy, some drug interactions, a lot of dosing stuff. Uh, it looks like when I look at this. But the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the pharmacology as a pharmacist. How does this drug work? So it binds to the folate receptor alpha and then is internalized. And then we have our microtubule inhibitor that gets released inside. Uh, that, that is the uh, soravtensine. Uh, and it is uh, DM4. If you think of trastuzumab, um, trastuzumab imtanzine, that is DM1. This is DM4, structurally very similar. Uh, now there, uh, then I went on and, and did some looking as what is folate receptor alpha? Well, it is typically expressed in, in only certain parts of our body uh, as a, a cell surface protein. So that's in the choroid plexus, the kidney, the lung, and the placenta. It is overexpressed in certain malignancies, including ovarian cancer, which is this approval, endometrial cancer, triple negative breast cancer, and non-small cell lung cancer. This is not the first chemical entity tried to target the folate receptor alpha. Um, uh, there are, and so there are a couple different ways that uh, a couple different ways that cells get folate, which is, a, of course, a necessary part of DNA synthesis. There are uh, passive transport mechanisms. There are bidirectional transport mechanisms, and there's a passive or a, an active mechanism. This folate receptor alpha is an active mechanism uh, to do that. 
so here are some drugs. There was farlatuzumab, named after Chris Farley, uh, ventafolide. Interestingly, it's a combination venca, combination folate, um, and then a drug that didn't make it very far. It's just BMS dash a whole bunch of numbers. Uh, seven four eight two eight five. So it didn't even make it far enough to get to the international nomenclature naming thing from the WHO to get a name. Um, but anyway, those are not approved. Those didn't make it very far. Didn't work. Needed an antibody drug conjugate apparently to have some some activity. So that's a little bit about the the pharmacology of it. Now let's go back and kind of go through the PI uh, as we look through it. First thing that stands out to me here. Uh, we'll get to the box warning for the eye toxicity later. First thing, the dosing is based off of an adjusted body weight. Now, you can adjust body weight in all kinds of ways. Um, so you take your ideal body weight uh, and take the difference between the actual body weight and the ideal body weight. You can multiply it by 25%, by 30%, by 40%, and then you take that and you add it to the ideal body weight. In this case, it's a 40% difference between actual and ideal added back to ideal using the standard ideal body weight. Uh, equation. What they have listed in the PI is not the one that I was familiar with, but if you if you derive it, it is the same. And I was like, why is this only? They only give the ideal body weight for females. What about males? The approval is only in ovarian cancer, so that is why. Um, it requires a premedication, so corticosteroids to prevent uh, infusion reactions, antihistamine, antipyretic, antiemetic, says 5-HD3 receptor antagonist, and then of course you have uh, maybe dexamethasone 10 as a corticosteroid. Um, consider additional pre-meds in folks who um, the day before, so not just like, you know, like 30 minutes before the dose, but maybe even day minus one uh, for people who have infusion reactions going forward. There are also a lot of eye toxicity with this. There's a box warning for eye toxicity. So uh, it's going to take you some time to build the order set for this drug to make sure all the pre-meds they need to take at home are there with very detailed instructions, okay? So they need an eye exam at baseline and every other cycle for the first eight cycles uh, with an ophthalmologist. We're gonna have to just put an ophthalmologist in the cancer clinic, okay? They need topical corticosteroids um, and they need to do that uh, six times a day, starting the day before a dose all the way until day four. All right, so five days, so day minus one or day zero, then day one, two, three, four, six times a day. You probably don't even drink a glass of water six times a day. Six times a day is a lot. Um, and probably, you know, we don't want people, you know, waking up to the night to do this. Um, all right, so take it six times a day for five days. And then for the next four days, you're going to take it uh, uh, four times a day, right? So this, you're taking this a lot. Uh, you're doing this a lot, so you're you're doing eye drops for more than a week, and then you get two weeks to you know that you don't have to do anything to your eyes until your next dose. It's every three week dosing. You also need lubricating eye drops uh, four times a day, um, as needed. Uh, Advice to wait at least ten minutes after the the steroids to do the lubricating eye drops. Other supportive care that's recommended, and this is from a review article. Uh, this isn't in the PI. Not to wear contacts, that is in here. Regular cleaning, a warm compress before sleep, and then sunglasses when you're out when you're out uh, during the day. Uh, a lot of dose reductions I won't go into. The dose reduction for infusion reactions is very similar to rituximab. For grade one, you just continue. Grade two, you hold, uh, wait for things to settle down, and restart at half the dosing rate. These are 100, gram, 100 milligram, big difference, 100 milligram vials. They need to be warm to room temperature. The drug is incompatible with normal saline. It needs to be made in D5W. 
the administration here does require a 0.2 or 0.22 uh, filter, inline filter. Um, so for your, you know, your average, I, I did a, a five foot five inch female who's 75 kilograms. That's an ideal body weight of, uh, of uh, uh, sorry, an adjusted body weight. Um, well, I did the math. Anyway, the dose for like your average lady might come out to be 385 milligrams. You're looking at almost four vials. We will see that there was a dose response relationship as well as a, a response toxicity relationship. So dose rounding here may be problematic just to round up, you know, for, for someone who is, who is obese, rounding up to four vials uh, may have increased toxicity. Uh, for the first dose, there is similar to rituximab. There is a dosing schedule where you start at one milligram a minute for 30 minutes. If that's fine, then you go to three milligrams per minute. If that's fine, you go to five milligrams per minute. What that means is it's gonna take, um, for again, for this five foot five female who's 75 kilograms, it's gonna take um, it, you know, at least two hours, about two and a half hours to get that first dose in. Um, the, the next dose can be done in, in, uh, in like 77 minutes because uh, for subsequent doses, you can start straight at, at five milligrams per minute if everything goes well. All right. There is a boxed warning for eye toxicity. Uh, eye toxic events happen in 61%. This is despite all the eye drop shenanigans that you have to do before the dose, after the dose for eight days. Uh, most common was visual impairment in about half. This happened in about a month. Uh, half of these people had complete resolution. 39% uh, had partial improvement. Those numbers don't add up to 100%, so some had no improvement. Um, so certainly uh, we're starting to see more of this eye toxicity like uh, with uh, belantamab, mofidotin, we know this. Pneumonitis occurred in 10%. That was uh, less than 1% grade 3. Peripheral neuropathy in 36%, relatively low for a microtubule inhibitor, but, but probably in line with what you see with trastuzumab and tanzine. Um, from a other toxicity standpoint, nausea occurred in 40%, but no vomiting reported. That's good. Arthralgias in 17%, myalgias in 10%. Uh, increased AST in 50%. Ovarian cancer does like to go to the liver. Perhaps that was also, um, without a placebo control, it's hard to know that. Um, it, you know, since you do have an antineoplastic payload, you look at the hematologic toxicity, any grade uh, lymphopenia, neutropenia, thrombocytopenia is less than 50%. We're talking 26% uh, neutropenia, only 3% grade 3 neutropenia neutropenia, 18% thrombocytopenia, only 2% grade three or worse thrombocytopenia. So hematologically well tolerated. Now that seraftensine, our payload here, this microtubule inhibitor is metabolized by, by 3A4. And we do have potential drug interaction with strong 3A4 inhibitors. Don't know about moderate 3A4 inhibitors like aprepitant, uh, the anti-medic. Unfortunately, they actually have not done formal drug-drug interaction studies. So we're just uh, taking preclinical um, uh, guesswork here and, and modeling about what's going to happen with this. Um, when you get into the pharmacodynamic section, so I have this highlighted that, uh, you know, the higher exposure with uh, mervituximab seraptosine was correlated with uh, response rate, also higher incidence of grade two or worse ocular toxicity and peripheral neuropathy. Uh, so uh, in the phase one studies, they actually changed their dosing from actual body weight to this uh, adjusted um, uh, ideal body weight to, to decrease interpatient variability. Um, there is a, uh, a metabolite here that, that um, 
I don't think it says it's active, but they talk about it like it's active here in the PK section. Um, so the the, uh, the the DM1 has a, a plasma half-life about three days. The S-methyl DM4, the metabolite, has a half-life of five days. So this drug does hang around for a little bit. The antibody hangs around for longer, but from a other toxicity standpoint, we would worry about uh, the, the payload here. Um, and both the payload, DM4, and its metabolite are metabolized by CYP3A4. Uh, no clinical studies evaluating the drug-drug interaction potential have been conducted. Reassuring. Uh, also, uh, DM4 is a time-dependent inhibitor of CYP3A4, so there may be drug interactions with this agent with other drugs uh, patients are taking, and considering they have not done that toxicity. Okay, so the drug sounds pretty darn toxic. A little scary just going through this. Um, it is approved, I should have said this uh, at the beginning, for platinum-resistant epithelial ovarian fallopian tube or primary peritoneal carcinoma, all right? So platinum-resistant ovarian cancer means that uh, the disease progressed uh, or recurred within six months of finishing a platinum-based regimen, okay? Now, fallopian tube cancer or primary peritoneal cancer, um, anatomically different, uh, but treated very similar to ovarian cancer. I kind of lumped them all as ovarian cancer. Uh, this is based off of study uh, 417, 106 patients, and as you already know, it's you know it's six uh, mg per kg based on that adjusted ideal body weight every three weeks until progression or uh, unacceptable toxicity. Overall, res overall response rate is just under 32%. So just literally less than one in three women uh, had some benefit from this, and those were almost all partial responses. There were a few complete responses, 4.8%, so that's that's promising, I will say that. Um, what is uh, most interesting from a uh, big picture point of view is Mervituximab seraptocene is approved on accelerated approval. And the way the accelerated approval process works is there then needs to be a phase three to confirm the benefit for the city market. That hasn't always happened, but that's the, the spirit of the law, I would say. Well, we have the phase three study published here. It was studied uh, or published in Annals of Oncology last year in 2021. It's called Forward One. And these were women, um, so it was 366 patients randomized two to one to either Mervituximab, Seraftacine, or chemo. Chemo could be Paclitaxel. Uh, most of these folks already got carboplatin Paclitaxel. So you're giving them more Paclitaxel or liposomal... Um, pegylated liposomal doctrines and pretty well tolerated, uh, or topotecan. Half of these folks had not even had bevacizumab in this study. Uh, they weren't allowed to get gemcitabine. Um, so from a design standpoint, not the best design here in Forward 3. I don't know how many of these women already got prior paclitaxel. Oh, prior exposure to paclitaxel. 96 and 96%. And you could get paclitaxel? That's crazy. Anyway, um... Mervituximab uh, strafacine did not result in significant improvement of PFS compared to chemo or overall survival. So we already have a negative phase three study. So um, it's it's really interesting that this was approved with this data out here. I I, I kind of don't understand it. In the forward one study, they look at um, you know you have to have you have to have, be positive for this this um, folate receptor alpha, which they say positive is more than fifty percent. They break it up into moderate positive, which is 50 to 75%, high positive above 75%, and there's a little bit more effectiveness, it looks like, in the 75%. And, uh, but in the intent to treat 
cohort. There's no separation in our progression free survival curves. You know, no separation overall survival. And that's in the, some of these women in the chemotherapy group are getting paclitaxel again after already having paclitaxel, which, by the way, is going to make the peripheral neuropathy numbers look comparable. Um, if they've already had, you know, multiple cycles of carboplatin paclitaxel, and then you're giving them uh, more uh, paclitaxel. And you can kind of see this. The peripheral neuropathy rates are 26%, 27% with mervituximab, seraftocene versus 18% with the chemo, uh, which you would see with um, paclitaxel, but not uh, liposomal doxorubicin or topotecan. So that's mervituximab, seraftocene, seraftansine. Um, you know, we have an, a negative phase three study, so it, it doesn't seem like this is a drug that's going to benefit um, a lot of folks unless they're... Um, unless we are able to identify a subset of patients with a metastatic platinum refractory or platinum resistant. Platinum refractory means you progress while on platinum-based treatment. With platinum resistant ovarian cancer, uh, unless we're able to identify is there a, a sub, a, an isoform of the folate receptor alpha. It does have to be 100% folate receptor alpha expression to really benefit from this drug, and especially when we have response rate, no PFS benefit, no overall survival benefit, and a lot of toxicity. Uh, to work through with this drug. So it doesn't seem to be a terribly uh, promising agent. Um, you know, with ovarian cancer, a lot of these women uh, will have, uh, even in, in the metastatic or a stage 3 setting, will have a good period of, uh, you know, progression-free survival where they can even stop treatment, and then you can reintroduce carboplatin and paclitaxel uh, if, if the disease recurs or comes back or progresses more than six months after finishing treatment. We do have, I mean, topotecan is not a walk in the park, um, but uh, we do have other options available uh, for, for these folks. I should say this approval, I didn't mention this, uh, is for women who have had one to prior, one to three prior lines of treatment and are um, platinum uh, resistant. So I, I certainly do would, you know, if someone's had one line of treatment, I would go with the other lines of treatment before using this drug, uh, in my opinion. Um, and maybe we'll get some uh, some more data, some better use of this. I know this has been studied in triple negative breast cancer, so you might start to see this drug uh, inch its way into other disease states. Uh, but, but for now, it seems like maybe folks uh, won't be so excited to use this drug. I'm not excited to use this drug. That's my opinion. All right, thank you for listening. Um, to uh, my discussion of Mervituximab seraptensine. Uh, if I don't talk to you next week, I hope uh, those of you who celebrate Thanksgiving here in the United States have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, and shout out to all those who will be working. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib. You can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.